We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. You think football is still fun? Uh, yes. Sir. Yes, no. No? Sir, sir uh, it was fun. Not anymore, though, is it? Is it? No, not by No, it's not fun anymore. Not even a little bit. Just look at that. He hit the fucking ball. That gets a free steak. <laughs> you having fun yet? Oh, yeah. I'm having a blast. Thanks. Good. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast, brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho, in for a special episode today. We are talking Little Giants with KJ Ellis from Wash Media and the Too Much Dip podcast episode I am very excited about. This is a, a great movie to chop up. Rick Moranis, Ed O'Neill, one of those 90s kids sports movies, just right in that and that special bell curve of movies that they just put out, it seems like every six months in the 90s. Sports movies about kids, targeted to kids. This is one of the better ones, in my opinion. I uh, want to give a shout-out to the Big Screen Sports Patreon group, especially our producer-level patrons. That is Aaron Figueroa, Mike Schubert, Steve Rogers, Kevin Frost, Mike D., Ryan Yeager, Mike Dries, James Cole, Lusky, and Chris Mikoski. If you go to patreon.com slash sports, you can support the show, which is which is awesome. I think that's a great perk, but you also get episode notes. You get scheduling updates. You get to vote on movies and patrons' choice topics covered by the podcast. Right now, we have uh, submissions for our December movie is up, uh, December patrons' choice, and then I've put out a poll for a Christmas movie for December, either Die Hard, which is a Christmas movie, Just Friends, or the holiday, going to be talking one of those. Uh, so yeah, and you also get stickers. There, there are tears for some big screen sports stickers. I think they look great. So yeah, if you want to support the show, keep this train rolling. Uh, Patreon.com/slash/bigscreensports. Next week, we are finally getting to our Ted Lasso season two recap, best moments. Me and Alex McDaniel chopping that up. Uh, but for now, let's talk to KJ Ellis from Wash Media. Too much dip. Uh, we're going to talk Little Giants, and if you enjoyed this episode, remember, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, rate, leave a review. You folks know the drill. Let's talk Little Giants. All right, joining me today on Big Screen Sports, he is the co-host of Too Much Dip over on the Wash Media Network. It is KJ Ellis. KJ, thanks so much for joining Big Screen Sports. Kyle, thanks for having me. I am... Uh... I've been looking forward to this since you reached out and, and the fact that I haven't had a chance to talk about this movie on my own, uh, it, it's, it just fits for so many reasons. So thanks. 
Absolutely. Yeah. This is, this is long overdue. Uh, I think, I think everyone else from wash, at least most, most of the guys from wash have, have been on the show at some point. I've been meaning to reach out to you, get you on the show for a long time. I'm very excited for this. Uh, before we get into it, tell the folks, what is too much dip? Where can they find too much dip? When yeah. can they find too much dip? So too much dip is the sports, uh, podcast on the wash media network. We do episodes every Monday. Uh, and then on Thursdays, we'll put out a live show on YouTube uh, that shows up on the feed on Fridays uh, during football season. We'll pick games on the fr- on the Thursday show. Uh, we have an ongoing bet uh, each year. This year, the loser of our uh, week-to-week picks against the spread has to drive around their vehicle with truck nuts on the car for 30 <laughs> uh, as an extension of some old uh, old school shenanigans from you guys past. But uh, the kicker being if the guest – because uh, we, we rotate guests each week. If the guests beat us on the season, anyone behind a guest loses. So as it stands right now, all three of us are getting beat by the guests. So uh, things have gotten a little bit uh, more interesting than we probably anticipated when we, when we built ourselves into this. So yeah, check it out on Mondays and Fridays uh, on the feed, anywhere where you get your podcasts or on uh, Thursday night. So 630 Central on YouTube. That is that is a tough punishment um, <laughs> for my for my folks maybe listening up north, not as familiar with truck nuts. Truck nuts are a literal pair of testicles hanging, a pair of plastic t- testicles hanging from the, the bumper of your car. It is the toughest of looks. Oh, yeah. And um, the collection of vehicles that the three of us have, they all would fit the category of like, I don't know, suburban soccer mom. Like we all drive <laughs> very average to, you know, slightly decent SUVs. So none of us drive trucks. You know, we're all in Texas and none of us are driving any car that will look any sort of acceptable to have truck nuts on it. So uh, to have what are now not gold plated, but, you know, just shiny gold colored brass balls hanging off the back of your car. That's going to be a tough look. Um, I can tell you this much. I, I can kind of read the room on how nervous people get about it by. OK, so what buyout options should we consider for this? Yeah. <laughs> We'll, we'll see. I mean, and all, all of you guys are also dads, which means yeah. driving that vehicle into the drop-off line. Um, man, that is, that is not what you want. I, I wish, I wish you all, the, all the best in, in that, in that endeavor. But KJ, we are here to talk about a movie from really that, the golden age of, of kids sports movies, that early to mid nineties period where they just started feeding us these by the spoonful. It is little giants. The 1994 children's football movie misfits form their own opposing team to an elite peewee football team coached by the elite team coach's brother starred Rick Moranis, Ed O'Neill, Shauna Waldron and Devin Sawa. Amblin entertainment was the production company on this. We owe Steven Spielberg for this movie, which is something, uh, Something kind of wild. This movie has a 36% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was a box office disappointment. But KJ, I, I kick it to you with this movie has endured. It's been over 25 years, and, and we still talk about it. The emancipation of Puerto Rico is still a thing. Why Why the hell is that? I would say uh, Ed O'Neill's staying power as a star. I mean, Modern Family has had a big part to do with that. But just being a mainstay on network television for going on 30 years from his time back with married with children is probably a big piece of it. But the fact that this movie didn't try to do too much by the way of just complete tomfoolery, like, of course, you know, the underdogs win and it's a little bit campy at times, but they don't add in uh, anything that would be kind of dated from a mystical sense. And, And even for that matter, 
they kind of choose a small town setting so that everything kind of seems small town midwesterny and dated nowadays that like you know it, it just fits it's aged pretty well when yep. my wife and i did our rewatch it's 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 pretty smooth there's nothing that i mean especially in today's lens when you watch something you're like what's what would get this canceled and there's really nothing oh, um no. you know and it it fits in the area kind of fits as a little like nice little you know, nine early nineties niche. Uh, for you, is this a Hall of Fame All Star starter bench warmer sports movie? Uh, personally, it checks every box for me. <laughs> um, it it absolutely sets the bar when I think of childhood movies that I enjoyed. Uh, prior to getting into too much depth, my first foray into podcasting was a, a, a show called Partial Recall, where I focused just on nineties nostalgia movies. But again. For some reason, I never got around to this. Played football growing up, loved doing nostalgia-based, uh, you know, rewatches, and never got back to this one. And watching it last night, uh, I regret it. I'm like, this is a movie I probably could watch every week. Uh, as you mentioned, it flowed quick. It's it's top of the list, man. Yeah, it's it's really good. So it it comes in this period of the the childhood, the the sports movie focused around children that in the 90s, like Rookie of the Year popped off and we started just getting fed quite a few of these Rookie of the Year, Mighty Ducks, Little Big League, um, you know, this obviously. And it, it's a different it's a different thing because you think about when you think about kids playing sports like before this, it's like Bad News Bears. Well, that movie really isn't for kids. I mean, it's it's for like older kids. Like I, I have an eight year old. He's probably not watching Bad News Bears anytime soon. Um, pro- probably soon. He'll probably end up watching it sooner than he should. But um, so what is your your Mount Rushmore of kids sports movies look like, especially that that 90s, that 90s period? Because it's it's basically like Mighty Ducks to, you know, basically the year 2000. And there's a huge chunk. Yeah, Mighty Ducks certainly has to be up there, um, which is strange because Mighty Ducks doesn't even really go with anything soundtrack-wise unless you want to count We Are the Champions at the end, which certainly, I I guess, you know, it is during the credit roll, but it doesn't have any kitschy things that should just stick. Hockey wasn't wild popular group in Texas. It's not like it was a sport that I was able to go and play, um, but it just took over uh, culture-wise. So Mighty Ducks is up there, Little Giants right behind it. Um, and then I'd probably would say maybe angels in the outfield over rookie of the year. I always uh, forget about angels in the outfield, the I, movie, the kid sports movie with two best actor Oscar winners, angels in the outfield. Yeah, it, it's, and you, you, you kind of also, you know, uh, I would often phrase the decade of the nineties for kids movies often had to shoehorn in, you know, one or two things. It was either divorce, the decade of divorce or, uh, the decade where having a job and working too much was absolutely the villain. And we see both of those uh, in this movie, but in uh, angels in the outfield, they get foster kids. And I'm like, okay, it's a little bit dark. Yeah. We have Dermot Maroney playing the deadbeatest of deadbeat dads in this one. Disney. I, I think I talked about this. It was either the last, I, it was, it was my last episode when uh, me and my buddy Ben Cruz ranked the top five sports movie dickheads. Uh, and one of our patrons suggested Dermot Maroney's character in Ages in the Outfield that Disney had us have a scene where a father signs over the rights to his child in front of said child. It is horrible. What, <laughs> what the fuck, it's Disney? Bad. It's pretty bad. I, one of my all-time favorite movies, and I mean this with zero jest, is Matilda. You know, pre-Harry <sighs> Potter era and all of that. You know, you've got a kid who's, got special abilities and it just it's, it's funny Danny DeVito's great in it 
but you get a scene in that movie where he's basically filling out the papers to sign her off, you know, turn around and filling the papers out on her back. And I'm like, geez, that is a, uh, you know, as a kid, I was like, all right, this sounds great for the kid. But, you know, think about it now, I'm like, geez, this is aggressive. <laughs> the tough, tough scene. Um, I would, throwing in for the Mount Rushmore, and, and longtime listeners of this podcast know this, Little Big League holds up really well. It is one of the better ones to watch as an adult because a lot of these were, we're building in that childhood nostalgia. I think that's where rookie of the year still really benefits from is how you felt about it as a kid versus how well it works. Now little big league still slaps, man, that movie fucking kicks ass. Everyone, everyone check out little big league. If it's been too long, I'm pulling it up and I'm realizing that's probably one that I rewatched the least, not out of preference or anything like that, but I'm looking at it. And I recall it very vividly. I, I certainly need to check that out. It got overshadowed by rookie of the year. I think the rookie of the year being centered around the Cubs and I believe coming first helped it. Um, the, the our little big league is centered around my beloved Minnesota twins does not have John candy in it, which that, that hurts any, any movie that does not have John candy in it typically does worse. Got one more ladybugs. I have to say ladybugs <laughs> scream it at the top of my lungs. That would be the fourth on my Mount Rushmore would be ladybugs, a great Rodney Dangerfield. You get, you know, uh, maybe some topical allowing boys to play girls sports uh, here in Texas. Um, you know, you get that way before uh, anyone really would have raised an eyebrow at it. And, you know, uh, it's an excellent movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, one other that gets, I guess the Sandlot, but I feel like the Sandlot is a different it's just a different quality or different type of movie. It doesn't really fit that same underdog straight up marketed to children movie. Sandlot knew it was being nostalgic when it was happening. It was just a different, it's not in that same class, I think. Yeah. You kind of get the uh, dazed and confused angle where, you know, uh, Sandlot releases early nineties set in, you know, the 50s, 60s. And it felt, about as accurate as a time as a period piece as you could. And I would almost call it a pure nostalgia piece, even though baseball's the scene and the setting, I don't see it as a sports movie, you know, cause you really don't get, you get a couple key organized sports moments, but all of the relationships were really the basis of that movie. Yeah. Nostalgia piece along just same thing as like everybody wants some, which is for me, the best baseball movie of the last five, 10 years. Yep. Um, so with this one, I mean, it's always great to see Rick Moranis. That's that's something that that works about it. I want to get before we dive into everything. Want to get into the you know pull some notable things from the IMDb trivia. Uh, Devin Sawa was 15 during filming, much taller than his 10 year old castmate, so he can be seen wearing only socks in some scenes. He does he does come off older than all those kids he's playing with. That that is that is very notable uncomfortably so and i did notice uh the jersey debut night i think at uh rick moranis's house he leaves the house in jeans that are pulled up a little bit high but just kind of the look absolutely no shoes and i'm like okay we're just kind of walking <laughs> our barefoot like this is a uh, that's, that's a little strange but yeah, yeah it must be the midwest man because <laughs> kids are kids are built different Mm -hmm. um, this movie was inspired by an early 1990s McDonald's ad about Pee Wee football that ran during the Super Bowl. The day after it aired, Steven Spielberg liked it so much that he called up the ad's creator, James Ferguson, and, and hired him to write the script. So that is uh, Spielberg. Spielberg gave us little giants. And another thing about James Ferguson, you and I both, we, we both live in Texas. The diner is named the Coffee Cup Cafe after the real Coffee Cup Cafe in Heiko. 
where Jim Ferguson grew up. Which if uh, if you take the if you take essentially the back way getting to or from DFW from San Antonio, you, you roll right through Heiko. It's a lovely little town. Classic small small town Texas. Absolutely. I love casting things, you know, in the in the IMDB trivia. I love seeing, you know, who might have been in this one. And this one might have been the the casting, the almost casting that blew my mind the most of any movie I've done on the show. Gary Busey and Randy Quaid were originally cast as the leads. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's post point break Busey. It's mm-hmm. like it would be coming like a couple years after point break. I think it's right when the wheels are falling off. Yeah. Uh, Randy Quaid, this probably comes right before Kingpin, right before independence day, but still, uh-huh. I mean, post cousin Eddie, uh, this movie is fucking bonkers. If those guys are starring in it. And I don't even know who plays kind of the, you know, the straight man and who plays the putts in that, like which one's the younger brother or do they just play angry brothers? And it probably would have taken a whole different. Uh, yeah. Thing. Yeah. If, if one has to be the straight man, it's probably Busey. <laughs> Which is just them, <laughs> just say that sentence. <laughs> Former Heisman trophy winner, Gary Busey. Yeah, I, I don't see that happening. I think they would have had to take in the angle that like he was up for the Heisman and, you know, got cut or, you know, some scandal uh, befell him uh, and, and didn't quite get it. But that's just it doesn't work. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about scandals in the Heisman because I have a lot of questions about what Kevin O'Shea is doing with his life right now. Uh, so let, let's get into the best scene. Uh, I'll run through these kind of chronologically, chop it up as we go. Uh, the first one when o- O'Shea is handing out the jerseys, essentially the scene where he cuts his own niece, who is a, a beast on the field. He gives us an instant villain. He's a cocky dickhead. He's cutting 11-year-olds in youth football. He's got the short shorts. He's got the haircut. I mean, he's right away sets the tone for what we're getting out of Ed O'Neill in this one. I, thinking back to this scene as, you know, without seeing it, I immediately think of, man, I just want one of those t-shirts that, that line that the kid says, you know, don't even know it's a Jersey. And then watching it, you know, recently immediately stands out that they were apex jerseys, which, you know, the nugget there is that I believe Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson head coach of the Cowboys. Uh, well, previously head coach of the Cowboys, I believe it was Jerry Jones venture wanted to basically give a middle finger to the NFL by starting his own apparel relationship. This was before everything was unified for the NFL and apex was like his private venture to do that. So the fact that they like forced that into this movie and it became a big thing, you know, it was pretty impressive. That's why there were no brands on the giants jerseys, even though the giants took the branding. So, um, that, that definitely stood out. Just the most Jerry shit ever. Oh yeah. Uh, He's never going to change. Um, so the next one is, uh, when they're at the diner and, and Danny finally stands up to Kevin. It's when, uh, it's when Icebox has behind his back started the second team decides he's coaching the team. And we've got our plot. We're like 20, 20 minutes in. We've got our plot. We're meeting for a game in two weeks. Uh, as, as Danny says, we're meeting at half court and, and, and we're off. Nice, nice, simple plot. Let me get this straight. It's okay with you. If I do something with the kids. Sure but not football. Exactly. I knew you'd see it my way. No, I don't. Pardon me? I, I don't see it your way. I've really never seen it your way. I hate your way. Now, what's gotten into you? What's gotten into me, I'll tell you. You've gotten into me, and I'm sick of it. 
forming our own team. League rules clearly state one town, one team. You can't have two teams. Let's have a playoff. That's a great idea, Wilbur. How about it, fellas? How about it? Two Saturdays from today, 12 noon. Meet me at half court. It's the 50-yard line, Dad. Absolutely. You get old. You get the old guys involved, too. Love uh, those old guys. I was hoping that uh, upon, like, rewatch or further digging, I was going to realize, like, oh, they used some just legendary NFL players from the 20s that I just didn't recognize as a kid, and it was just kind of an Easter egg. No, just two old dudes, and they played their parts perfectly. They did. They they killed it. We're gonna we're gonna have special special segment for those oldies uh, here in a little bit. Uh, next scene is the recruitment of Spike, who is better known as Val from Brink. Um, he is a hundred percent ending up either like a sex predator or um, you know in in he, he's going to prison for something. I don't know. I I do, I'm not a hundred percent what it is, but he will. Spike is is headed for prison. Psycho dad. I mean everything. Yeah, it it reminds me of uh, a story that was going to lead to was it Todd Marinovich? Is that the 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 famed story where you get the first bad reaction from a player who's just driven absolute bonkers by an over the top dad? You know, I don't want to make it uh, too too dark there, but I, I see Spike and his dad going that route later in life. Yeah, and even, I mean, at least like Marv Marinovich was, I believe he played at USC, was like, this is what he did. Like, he trained athletes. Like, Spike's dad is just, you know, seems like potentially like a Vietnam vet working through some stuff. He's got those kind of vibes, uh, probably cut from his high school team, um, you know, massaging his kids' hamstrings with evaporated milk. I mean, full-blown, full-blown psycho, just a recipe for absolute disaster. Spike also was 100% a Mike Allsock guy. Gets gets to the practice, and he's, we're running power eye. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> he's got the – like, his his all of his look looks like a good buddy. Might play quarterback at Tulane, uh, Joe Kemp. And, you know, if, if even if you look up Joe Kemp out there, like, it's a findable person visibly looks like young he looks like young spike so every time i see him i think the same thing and you know joe went on to be a marine post you know college football career so his temperament's not that different from what spike would have went on to be so the whole time i'm watching like oh that's joe yeah except i don't think i'm not sure the marines take spike i'm not (laughs) sure like even the armed force like anywhere in the armed forces i'm just i think i think there's too many red flags there that's true Way yeah. too I, I think I think Spike ends up in the Oath Keepers or something like that. I think that's that's more his that's more his He's speed. Where Spike was on one six, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he he was in the shit in one six. That that was he was all about that. Uh, so next scene is when John Madden and Co show up to uh, to really inspire the team, talk some plays. Um, shout out Emmett Smith, Weedem Boys, also Bruce Smith, Go Hokies. Uh, John Madden, you know, steal of approval on the annexation of Puerto Rico. I might be wrong in this. I didn't do any research, but it seems like a missed opportunity. If there was never an annexation of Puerto Rico play in any of, in any of the Madden playbooks. That's true. There was nothing in the game that even approached being able to run that play. Um, I did just double check and make sure I understood which play was based on. Um, there was an old Nebraska Miami game, I guess, pretty notable as a national title game where Nebraska ran a play that's known as Fumble Ruski, I believe in 75. Uh, and prior to that, um, Madden did run a Holy Roller, pl- a play called the Holy Roller, referred to as it, um, in an older Super Bowl, where basically the only way the lineman can touch the ball is if it touches the ground. And so 
Uh, it's been kind of recreated in a few games since to varying degrees of success, but that play is so small town high school, like it's going to screw up somebody's week one game and, and, you know, some player's going to make their headlines the next day. Yeah. Recreated in the, the Sandler version of the longest yard as well uh, by <laughs> Sandler and the late great Burt Reynolds. The next scene I've got is this is probably the most, I would say the most emotional scene of a movie. That's not, that doesn't really try to get at your heartstrings that much. It is the, the conversation at the foot of the stairs about Becky's mom, mom leaving that whole thing. And, and kind of them coming to something of an understanding of like, yes, you know, they, they've bonded over football and, you know, but she, you know, she's missing something in her life. Um, you know, it's with her mom leaving and, not being able to express, you know, her womanhood to to her dad. It's it's the closest I got to tearing up in this one. As as a noted softy, I will I will cry as much as I get the chance in movies. And this one didn't get me there, but this scene got me the closest. I'm I'm right there with you. I uh, have been known. To, I'll cry at a commercial uh, if it's good enough. Oh yeah, oh uh, yeah. Shout out Google, man. They they get you. There's a. Um, a couple moments in this movie and I obviously the, the angle that she wanted to be a cheerleader to impress the boy, I, that that's something that stuck with me over the years, but I had missed the fact that they threw back, threw back and forth barbs of like mom picked a better team or whatever. You know, she didn't just leave us. She went to go find a better team. I'm like, damn, we that are is, really uh, brutal. Now. I'm like, wow, this is a, uh, that's a lot. You know, we're not just beating around the bush of a decade of divorce. We're, head on both the kid and the dad now. Yeah. Cause that the, the whole there's, there's the decade of divorce. There's, there's the parents who split and the divorce movies and stuff like that. The straight up, the straight up leaving movies, the straight up I'm gone. Angels in the outfield has that too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh that, that's a, that's a whole nother thing to unpack. And this one, this one gets into it. Um, the final, I, I guess the final scenes and, and this is, you know, Every sport is kind of the, the the recipe for most sports movies is, is the game. That's where they pack in the most stuff. And and you can I guess you can pack the game and little giants into the pregame coin toss where the whole town finds out that Kevin is a fucking asshole. Yeah. Uh, that their their pride and joy is is not not great. Uh and, and we all kind of at that point we're all thinking like this family probably should not get together anytime soon. We obviously know that changes, but just them like it, it it's tough. And then you get the first half of the game where, and you know, you, you played division one college football. I feel like football is not a game that you, it, it's a game you just cannot win. If you are this physically outmatched, this was like Alabama playing yeah. a three, a high school. Yeah. There's, there's no way that you get any level of success or, like anything approaching like a competent football game. However, the X factor being, we don't really have anyone highlighted as being the quarterback for the Cowboys. We know that they've got spike. We know that they have a fast wide receiver and players that at least know what football is, but one thing they left out and they kind of wanted junior to be their quarterback. You kind of have to assume that maybe they were lacking in that department so much like I would imagine, uh, you know, kid pitch baseball games might suffer quite a bit from just being able to be executed. If you don't have a kid who can get the ball to the, to the plate, regardless of what other positions you've got going. So let's say the Cowboys were lacking in that department, you know, even getting the ball and getting it to the running back might be a struggle. So 
they did a good job of, of saying, hey, here's some plausible ways that they would score in the first half. They limited it at three touchdowns. And I'm like, yeah, we're really erasing the fact that the Giants would have given up the ball way more times to give up more than three touchdowns. That's where I'm coming from in that we see in the second half, they get they they get their their first play from scrimmage. They gain one yard and every, all the parents and stuff like we gained a yard, we gained a yard. So that's implying that at the very best in the first half, it was three and out, three and out, three and out. <laughs> so they handed the ball. They they gave the ball back to to spike, you know, numerous times. Basically, every time they touched the ball it was right back to the Cowboys and we're under the assumption that Spike only got in the end zone three times and that they were able to bring him down, maybe able to to get them to punt the ball, turn it. I mean, man, 21 to nothing is just the upset of the center. It should have been like 65 to nothing in the first half. Well, the first half going under, is, is that's that's definitely the bet that nobody had. Oh, the old men. That, one of them got killed on that one. Absolutely killed. Uh, we get into the second half. Second half, we get a little more. We get some life from the Giants. Um, both the Hammersmiths, both Spike and his dad, just full blown psychos. Like it's how you raise, I mean, Spike, like on, on the high end, like on the low end, he does time, you know, a a few times in his life, some low end assaults, um, you know, maybe like possession, something like that. High end. He's, he's the Zodiac. I think that's. (laughs) I think that's our, I think that's our range. Cause like the dad is, is absolutely nuts. Um, if the, the thing that stands out to me in the second half, this isn't the biggest standout, but it's one of the things when the guy, the kid whose name I'm forgetting scores a touchdown because he's so excited to see, he's terrified of getting the ball, but he's so excited to see his dad has shown up, which is supposed to be a good movement. If you are not around enough, like if you're not around enough so much that your kid is willing to conquer his greatest fear just to get a hug, you're not around enough, my guy. Yeah, and um, there's a glaring lack of, I don't know, caretaker counterpart. Dad's just like, all right, kid, got to go on a business trip. And, you know, and he's out of there. And there's no even impression of like mom's there and just too busy with the siblings. There's nobody just yeah, that. It's not even like a Billy Madison situation where he's spending time with the, the, the housekeeper. Right. It's like yeah. he's, he's riding solo with this. Yeah. I, I, I would have been a little better off. Uh, you know, this movie came out, I believe I might've been eight when it released. So I was probably just starting to play uh, youth football and you know, my parents divorced when I was young. And so it was like, seeing this probably on a dad's weekend, I probably would have been better off with having some factor of like, dad's got to go. You're getting dropped off at your mom's or something along those lines. Cause like you're saying, dad's definitely not around if that's possible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely not. Um, I, I got to ask you about essentially that lat, the goal line stand. We get, we get down to it where the, the Cowboys are, are ready to punch it in with our, our favorite serial killer running the power eye. And the, so the, the giants call a timeout and, and, and junior's mom comes down and you remember the, the play your brother scored the, you know, won the state championship, whatever. So essentially Danny knows it's going to be a pitch to spike, which like it was going to be a pitch to spike, or it was going to be a handoff to spike. Like we know they're going to spike. And so he, they, they all, they all move over and Kevin, you know, they know the play, they know the play. He doesn't doesn't call a timeout though, but then he calls a timeout before the annexation of Puerto Rico. I mean, Kevin O'Shea choked this one away. I don't. I mean, we'd be killing Matt Nagy for this. Look, 
No one thought we'd make it this far. But now it's time to really dig in. They're gonna give the ball to Spike. We've gotta stop him. He's too strong. We can do it together. Ready? Fight! I think this is an appropriate uh, Cowboys coach, uh, you know, fail. Uh, oh, Jason how, Garrett, Jason Garrett would have done the same shit. This is a Mike McCarthy move right here. This is a bad clock management to, of the highest order or overconfidence at, at best. Uh, I think that at this point, you know, they're faced with the fact that the Giants have now brought it within a touchdown, basically, um, or tied it, I guess, theoretically. Um and if you're the other co if you're Kevin O'Shea, I can't even see a reason to call like that. You wouldn't call a timeout. That's like strategic here. Like, I, like, why would you be saving it for something defensively? If you score here, you know, basically you're putting the game away. So yeah, I, I agree with you. That's, that's certainly uh, bad coaching on his part. Yeah. No faith in his kicker either, because from the score we've seen, we presume that they are kicking extra points because everything is, is, you divided by seven essentially, unless like you miss it, they missed a two pointer, got a two pointer or something like that. But you're, you're assuming that they're kicking cause we see the giants kicking. So no faith in the kicker from like the two. Yeah. I, I wonder if uh, we, we added in kicking just to make sure we got the uh, we did get a couple nut shots, you know, straight out of the bag. You get two, two nut shot comedies, you know, one with the kick and then one with Kevin O'Shaft window. But uh uh, I think they might have integrated the kicking just to give us the world's safest blackface attempt in any movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with the, the Asian kid with the uh, with the eye black and just a yeah. little haywire with it, I'm just like, all right, man, uh, this is uh, you know we're about four lines too far here. Let's let's tap the brakes, tap the yeah. brakes. But yeah, tough, tough scene there. Goal line, any goal line play in any football movie is just absolute. You know, it's it's cinematic joy. Even though it happens every single week, it's like the least exaggerated play for television. It's not like a triple play or a grand slam or something. Uh, you see it every single game, so it's 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 always good to see. Yeah, and it's just a bunch of bodies crashing into each other, essentially mm-hmm. fighting over like three feet of space. Okay. Uh, the last the last real scene, the annexation of Puerto Rico. It's it's endured twenty you know twenty five plus years. Still gets still gets brought up. Uh, what for you? Did I miss any of your favorite scenes in this one? Um, the night before the game, I think was probably a big one. Um, and I, you know, I would go back to it growing up, even, you know, playing and use sports or use football or whatever. It was almost like the same jitters. And I don't know why I'm actually getting goosebumps right now. That's a little bit you know, weird. The same jitters and excitement you would get for like the day before your first day of school. Like it's the whole, you know, what do I need to lay out? What am I planning? You're you're not old enough to be like walking through the plays and envisioning success. Like you're like, all right, I'm just, I, okay. I, I need to be there on time. Uh, and I need to bring my Gatorade and you know, do I have these pants or my pants clean or my pads with like, you're just going through all those things and doing stupid things like sleeping in your cleats, like exaggerated, but I probably slept in like my football pants the night before a game, just out of pure, like, just can't wait to get there. So that, and, and we do get the Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm, I'm going to, I want to pump you up from uh, Tad who uh, 
Tad, uh, you know, I'll save it for some of my favorites, but Tad, Tad killed this whole movie. He did. He did. Uh, mine, I, I think, I'm, I mean, this is, this is the easy pick that just the second half of the game, it's when you, you know, you get a lot of the action, a lot of funny moments. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of Rick Moranis love the, love Becky coming out and her, you know, with her cheerleading, cheerleading bottoms on and her football pads on great, great stuff. Uh, if I had, if I had to narrow it down to one thing, I would say it is the annexation of Puerto Rico, not as much for scene execution or it's, it's more, again, that thing of like how it's endured and how it's still in our lives and stuff like that. It's like, a, it's, this is it. This is what it's supposed to be. It's the annexation of Puerto Rico. I probably like it now more than I did when I was a kid. Like I probably just because of, of what it is and how we all still talk about it. It's how we get reminded of this movie. It's this, this movie's flying V or knuckle puck basically. Exactly. It's exactly what it is. Uh, let's take a quick ad break and get back with the best quote. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, and we are back. Uh, for best quote with this one, this isn't this isn't like a, a movie like Miracle or like Major League or Bull Durham or something with big monologues or you know incredibly witty jokes or anything like that. It's you know it's it's a kids movie. Is there? Do you have a, a best quote in this one? Something that you go back to? I think. When I first saw this, I, I probably would have said the you beat Kevin down Cherry, you beat Kevin down Cherry Hill Lane. Um, and uh, the it wasn't even a rah-rah speech. Like it's the most understated, like round, you know, circle the wagon speech we ever get. But I think going back and seeing it again, the scene before, I guess it was a part of the montage of rounding up the team where he goes and asks the kid who, I don't know what role he played in the actual game, but the uh, TV uh, cowboy TV kid uh, reminded me of uh, the uh, Willy Wonka kid who just reminds me of Mike TV. That's what I'm trying to get at uh, on Willy Wonka. But he's asking, he's like, Hey, do you like football? And the kid just riding the, the horse outside of department the department store which you know those things have just kind of slowly vanished into the ether yeah uh, our, our kids aren't going to get that that excitement of getting the the horse ride or the the mini carousel ride outside the department store yeah so he's sitting there asking he's like you like football he says nope do you want to play football nope and then basically it's like all right you're on the team and i'm like oh <laughs> that's that's a that's a great little uh montage kickoff because then we we lead into whatever good sports movie has and it's you know building the squad 
Yeah, love love the building a squad, but I I do have I do have some building a squad squad tips for the for this movie. Some things I would have liked to have seen. My real one, the the only one that made me actually laugh out loud, and it's one I had forgotten about it was when there he's handing out the jerseys and Danny's you know trying to hype him up about the jersey. You know they have your names on the back, and then Jake is so the guys at the morgue can identify the bodies, which is which is which is really good. Yeah, that kid and his mom. I I forgot how much you know, comedic talent they brought to the movie, like the hypochondriac mom for, for that kid was just great. And it's interesting. They, I I would argue the funniest person in this movie as, as a, as an actor is Rick Moranis, who is like Spaceballs for me is, is just top tier. It's hall of fame. I think he's hilarious in it. He's more, and, and this is, this is how our, you know, our experience with Rick Moranis has been. It's either, He's he's the comedic character, straight up comedy, or he's like, you know, neurotic dad. And this is kind of he's not he's not he's not Honey I Shrunk the Kids neurotic, but he's he's still you know he's still got a little bit of those characteristics, and he's not he's not Spaceballs or or Ghostbusters you know funny character. Don't you think it's a little interesting they made his character the owner or like he's the tow truck driver and he he runs like a an oil shop. He runs like the gas station. Yeah. So I'm like. Of all jobs, we kind of would usually equate that blue-collar Midwest gas station guy to being anything but the town nerd yeah. uh, or the town dork. And he do- we don't see any signs of like, oh, he likes to tinker on the side or do anything along those lines. So I think they fit it perfectly to where like, yeah, he's not that guy. He's not Kevin. He's not the athlete. But it's not like he's completely devoid of like anything we would say or you know, heteronormative masculine skills or whatever for some of these movies, not to be too, you know, meta about it. But I thought that was an interesting move because they could have just as easily made him the pharmacist, uh, the pharmacist, uh, you know, fish tank sale cleaner or something, you know, really nerdy. And then going into this and, and they didn't. Yeah, no, Rick, Rick Moranis can pull off like a, a working jacket and that, that hat and stuff and a little pair of overalls. Happy for Rick Moranis on that one. Um, one of my, you know, the, the original thing this podcast was founded on really is the, the sports action, the realism of the sports or the sports plot points in general. Uh, what, I mean, the, the one, the thing that is most realistic about this movie when it comes to sports for me, and this is true in a, in a couple different movies in this genre is parents caring way too much about youth sports. 1000%. Everything that I fear about the future is laid out in this movie from just the annoying parents that you have to sit near if you're trying to just be kind of calm parent to the absolute over the top that I need a jersey and need to be on the sideline like Spike's dad who like came became a quasi assistant coach by the end of it <laughs> and I mean and he was uh uh what was it? the uh the name the name is uh names mistaking me the Greg Williams he became there he came, became the Cowboys Greg Williams just throwing out bounties Exactly. Attack the head. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the plot device of try hard try hard adults who care way too much about youth sports. It'll always work. Always makes for like a great villain. There's just no one more detestable works than Bad News Bears and the Mighty Ducks and kicking and screaming. Like always, always, always works. And very realistic plot point because anyone who's played youth sports has seen those parents. When I was on my like 13 year old travel team. There was a kid whose mom I was I was catching. He was pitching. He was very wild through very hard. Anytime he would sail a ball over my head, his mom would be at the fucking backstop 
screaming bloody murder at me to get the ball and like throw like I mean just crazy like so that lady would fit perfect in Little Giants. And I, that the concept of that person in, in movies, I mean, it's again one of the most accurate characters to portray. Like you said, it's very easy to find. You go to any youth field, regardless of sport uh, or activity. Heck, my my sister in law uh, uh, has done ballet uh, her whole life, and so even seeing dance moms, you know, um, you know, basically do this as well. And I feel like it's that mental balance between like the more serious you take it, or the more like you put into it, you feel like you're going to get that as a return. Like you'll be rewarded with just as much. And it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way from a second party standpoint. You rarely ever see the, the hard O kid that does not have that same parent um, or yeah. doesn't have some like unique parent situation. If it's like not a complete absent uh, parent. So it's, yeah, it's, it's like, it's like parents trying to relive glory days that didn't really happen and trying to get gratification for themselves through their own kids versus you see a lot of times, I mean, you don't see Kevin in this movie is not like that, but you see a lot of times parents who actually did have careers. We had on my travel team. We had a guy whose dad did like played like 10 years in the big leagues. That dude didn't give a fuck. He just sat at the games, was chill, watched the game, supported us all cheered on. Everyone was great. Didn't care because he realized that these games don't matter. They are just for fun. And a lot of parents forget that you sports, especially in this movie. Yeah, he didn't have anything in the tank. And I think that's a, that's a big part of it. I, I, yeah. My brother did not play sports growing up at all. Um, and, you know, and, and I did and went on to play college football. And then we both started playing flag football together, adult flag football uh, after college. And he is 1010% more into it and angry and upset about it than I ever was and still plays and he's a few years older than I am. And so I'm just like, I just, you know, I love it. I enjoyed it. It was great. I think I didn't me anymore. And you know, that kind of translates to some of the youth sports I get to see as an uncle. I'll say, I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we did. Uh, we did our first season of, of coach pitch this past fall and we saw, see some shit, man. So uh, <laughs> was there anything else realistic or authentic about this one worth pointing out? The biggest thing that I will look for off the top, anytime I see a sport portrayed in a TV show movie, I don't care if it's the centerpiece of the show or just the backdrop, you've got to be able to get the very basics of a color Jersey and a non-color Jersey. Cause nine times out of 10, you can tell if somebody on the set says, okay, they're going to be playing basketball, you know, whatever, saved by the bell. And the producer who's responsible to put together the uniforms has no idea what they're doing. They just want a red team and a blue team. And yes, I get it. Color rush exists and baseball. It's a little bit murkier because you get gray and, and white sometimes or gray in a color Jersey as the color Jersey, but in football, it should be plain as day. You get a white Jersey, you get a non-white Jersey and you check that box and I'll be okay. And they did that. We got red jerseys. We got white jerseys. Our box was checked from there. We had roughly 11 players on the field at all times. The box was, you know, that box was checked and I think the dynamics of the youth field from a, uh, um, a measurement standpoint, it's not like, you know, we were accurate on everything. Again, you, we, we brought up the point that they likely would have scored more, but the framework of the game was, was fairly accurate. You know, you can see some youth or older movies where like with basketball and they'd be like, Oh, it's 96 points in the second quarter. And like, they never tried to break the realm of re reality in that way. So those are the things I did appreciate. 
Yeah, and stuff like that is important. It felt like it felt like we were watching a Pee Wee football game. It didn't seem like like Spike didn't seem like he was a freak out. He was just like, oh, this is a big kid. He's bigger than he's bigger than other kids. That's how that it's how this works in esports. The kids who grow who get bigger quicker are the are better when you're 12. The best guy in the little league team is the biggest guy in the little league team. Just yep. kind of how that works. Just kind of how that works. Um, the least realistic for this one is kind of the whole movie centers about about this for me. There is just no way a Heisman Trophy winner is coaching youth football living in his small bum ass Ohio town because <sighs> Kevin is there for that adoration. He's eating that shit up. He loves how beloved he is in this small Urbania or whatever. <laughs> he would at the very least like he has his, you know, he has a Chevy dealership. He has his Camaro. Let's so Ohio. Let's assume he went to Ohio State or Michigan and mm-hmm. won this Heisman. He would have a dealership in Columbus or Ann Arbor. He would live in Columbus or Ann Arbor. He would have, if he wasn't in the NFL or he wasn't in media, he would have his dealership. He would have some, you know, some quote unquote job on campus in the athletics building. He would have something. He would not be back in Urbania, Ohio. There's just no way. I I would say that uh, it makes me think if we get a Joe Burrow, Athens, Ohio remake of this in 10 years, I might not be upset. I don't think he's the guy to do it, but I'd, I'd appreciate it. Um, we have seen this like increase of like Jason Witten, Phillip Rivers, like NFL stars that will leave the NFL and immediately go coach really random high schools that they have some affiliation with. But even that's not Pee Wee. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's the thing. Like you're saying, they would have some sort of bigger responsibility that they could hang their laurels on. And that's, that's I don't know. And the difference you see Philip Rivers coaching those kids, and one, Philip Rivers is psychotic. I mean that in a really good way. He's a psycho. He will need he needs football. Yeah. He needs, but you can tell Philip Rivers is there for those kids. He's excited about it, just wants to compete, just wants to win, just wants those kids to have a good time, just wants to be around the game. Kevin O'Shea is doing this for the laurels of it. He wants to have this winning peewee football team. He's not, it's not as much about the coaching. It's like the ego boost. Yeah. And like, sir, you want a Heisman trophy. You can go to go back to campus on Saturdays and go stand on the sideline and get that. It makes me kind of wonder what happened to him after winning that Heisman trophy. Like I live very near Kerrville, Texas. The last time I drove through a couple years ago, there was a nice big banner down main street that's at home of 2012 Heisman Trophy winner, Johnny Manziel. I don't know if that's there anymore. <laughs> I just don't things, <laughs> things in life change. So did he go to the NFL and get like pop for steroids or do something bad? Did he basically was Urbania the last place that he could come back and get this kind of love because he, because like, I mean, Johnny Manziel still goes back to college station and still gets treated like, like a king. So True. They- I, I would say if uh, we could have had just one plot note thrown out in a conversation or by the presence of just an extra by explaining or noting that, I mean, they referred to their dad being alive, but if we would have established that they had an aging grandmother who was still in town or that the wife was a principal at the local school, we don't have to show her in the school. That hadn't have to be a thing. Somebody can just say hi, principal, so-and-so. And then we understand like, oh, they've got roots that are worth staying for. Like you're saying, you know, there's, 
I get it. You got a dealership there, but the fact that he's there closing deals and taking pictures, yeah, that, that's a step far. Like, how good is that? How stuff. good is that dealership doing in Urbania, Ohio? Not great. Not great. No. No, maybe the cars are built there too, so they might get a discount. <laughs> that's that. That's a fair point, but yeah, that that for me. I mean, and he just he doesn't have time for youth football. That's just some again, someone who won a Heisman Trophy is not. You're just not getting your rocks off from youth football like he is. It's just, right. it's just not it. I'll say this: if I run into Vince Young at a youth football game anytime in the near future, um. I feel like it would drop. It'd probably draw enough attention from like the opposing players, parents, like everybody would be too obsessed with seeing Vince young there for the game to go on as normal. He wouldn't get mobbed or anything like, you know, it's, it's not uh, BTS or something, but still uh, I feel like uh, that would destroy the concept of this, but I guess, you know, he's just, it's all Kevy, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Everyone is very, very comfortable with him as a highest trip verse. Yeah. Like in Austin, like Vince young is a presence. He's got a steakhouse. It's quality. Uh, but it, it would still be a big deal if he ever, even if he, you know, if he started coaching a team and became a regular thing, people would still be like, well, it's Vince yeah. young, but everyone in town. So like, he's just our guy. It's our, it's our, you know, little Heisman winner, Kevin. Did you have anything else that was not authentic about this one? Not realistic. Um, the mayor's position in this whole movie was a little strange. Uh, he shows up and says, Hey, I got us into the peewee league. And I'm like, okay. So that may be the reason why like Kevin hasn't previously been involved with peewee football. This is something new, uh, them getting into this league. So that was a little strange. Um, interesting that that's a priority for, yeah. uh, for the mayor. It's vote. Seems seems like a call that Kevin could have made too. <laughs> it's it definitely seems like a call they would receive better from Kevin. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Maybe if the mayor showed up and said, "Hey, we secured the land for the team to play their games at," that's different because they had a badass stadium for a city that didn't have a pee wee football team. Yeah, Kevin O'Shea Stadium. Yeah, well, who was playing there before the high school? Might be it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know, but yeah, that's, that's, that's a weird thing that like this wasn't an ongoing program already. Yeah. Two weeks, two weeks from the day that it was announced, we played this game. <laughs> that, that probably might be the other kickers that we had two weeks. So there, there's the ex- explanation for the low scoring first half. It, it's, it's very interesting how, because, because it seemed like the season was about to start after this. It was like, we need to be getting ready for whoever. And it's like, that's, yeah. that's kind of a, Kind of a quick turnaround for this elite peewee team, but what uh what worked about this one that we haven't talked about? Why why is this one something that's endured, something that we look look back on fondly? Um, we get just enough balance between the main characters where their shortfalls in terms of how you know we we don't have superstars. Devin Sawa was a good character and a good child actor. Went on to do a couple other you know big things and still is kind of a presence, but nobody from this outside of our main coaches could carry the screen for long and you didn't want it to be about them very much. Obviously being a kid's movie, being about the game, it had, I think they balanced all of those pieces. Well, nobody had too much screen time, not even Kevin O'Shea, you know, not even Ed O'Neill um, who arguably, you know, does his best work here. I would say almost of his career. It's just enough balance of who he was as Al Bundy, who he kind of becomes later uh, in modern family is kind of the crotchety old guy who's real snippy and maybe not as likable. Um, not like Al Bundy was, but still it was, um, I think they just balanced by not giving anybody too much screen time. 
Yeah, because they could have leaned super hard into Ed O'Neill and Rick Moranis. Like, you guys got to carry this through it. You guys got to be funny. You got to be with O'Neill. I mean, they're both awesome in this with with what they get to do. Like, Ed O'Neill is just a consummate dickhead in this one. Just great, oh, yeah. great stuff. Um, childhood dickhead turned into adult dickhead. We get to we we get to see him as a child, a complete dick. Uh, a little sexist. Yeah. Um, we need to talk about when he charges his wife as she's holding the pillow, what was he intending to do? Uh, Cause I mean, if, if he doesn't go out the window, she goes out the window and we're also assuming that he was like a D lineman as well. Was he the first, did he beat Charles Woodson to becoming the first defensive player to win the Heisman? Yeah, actually Ed O'Neill played D line and you know, play, I don't know where he played maybe at Pitt. Uh, or no, no, he, a- he was on the Steelers roster for training camp and, and, and got cut, but played D lineman in college. So I, I agree. The positioning there was all a little wonky. I would have been just as happy if they did that with the window, with the couch behind it, it just would have made, you know, him running through the window a little harder to pull off. Um, yeah, I, I <laughs> like you've got all this money. You've got a crowd here. Like, what are you trying to do by doing it? Like in that room, you probably have a blocking dummy somewhere in the house too. Like, you know, coaches got yeah. shit in the car at all times. <laughs> <laughs> There's one in the garage. So he played, uh, he played first at Ohio, okay. got him, got himself some action. And then he transferred to Youngstown state was a D lineman. Shout out Jim Trestle. Yeah. Uh, shout out, Trestle, shout uh, out, shout out Youngstown. Shout out, shout out Maurice Claret. Um, all the shout outs. Uh, Youngstown also was what, uh, urban starting point and one other coach, uh, Polini. Yeah, maybe Polini. Uh, there are a few big coaches out of that, uh, neck of the woods. I know it's where urban's from, but, uh, I'd have to go back and look at the dates. I don't know. probably older than all of those except for Trestle. Yeah, I would, th- I would think so. I would think so. Um, do we think that Karen needs to leave Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> I think Karen was being a good aunt. Uh, she was, I, she was, she's being a, she's being a very good aunt. She was the, the female presence that, that Icebox needed. Yeah. And, and even to that note, while Kevin was a dickhead and he certainly had self interest in mind when he gave his niece advice, it was balanced enough advice and genuine enough to where you could tell he was being a good uncle. Like none of his advice, like was direct. It was manipulated, manipulative, but he wasn't doing it like almost he sees her as the threat. So, you know, he knows, you know, he respects her skill, but he also did it by like just boosting up her ego and pushing her in the direction she seems to already want to go. So, you know, I, I would say the, the family ties that kind of endure this whole thing, you know, I think mm-hmm. she should stay. Mm-hmm. The, the sign that this one worked is when they do reconcile at the end and, and, you know, make the water tower, the O'Shea brothers and stuff. You're like, Yeah. I like this. There's enough. There's enough of a glimpse in Kevin O'Shea in that that rough exterior that you're like, you know what? I'm I'm glad they've reconciled. I I feel this. It's not just a complete throwaway of like, man, fuck this guy. Like he should he should take his dealership. Um. So that's that's good. Uh. Something else that's good about this one. One, we see John Madden. Two, John Madden's still with us at time of recording. Still with us. Huh? I know. I know. And I mean, like. Well, we're we're going on like fifteen plus years without Summerall, maybe longer, and we we still got Madden. I just looked up Ed O'Neill's seventy five. 
Madden is what? He's got to be 90, right? He's got got to be at least 90. I mean, he, yeah, it's been, a, it's been many moons. Wow. 95? 85. 85. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it might just be football age on him, but, you know, uh, he could still be in Congress in some places. <laughs> yeah. He could, he could be a senator in Iowa or California. Exactly. Um, or Kentucky, I believe. No. Um, the It's great to see Emmett. I mean, he, he looks great now, but he looks even better. It's just, just great to see yeah. him looking like he could just, he could crack out 125 real, real easy. With two yeah. The, uh, the cameos we had Steve Emmer. That's, that's the one I had to look up or, uh, not Emmer. It's Emptman, who's uh D lineman played for the Colts and played at university of Washington. I don't know him. Well, um, first picture that comes up not to make this going back to politics all the time, but his first picture, I guess he was, uh, you know, taking the Herschel Walker out, uh, last, he, he probably uh, went to, he probably went to the Capitol with spike. Yeah. I mean, that's the first picture you see is, is him fully, fully involved with that. And I, again, I don't know him very well. Um, and then there was a fourth person when they, when they roll the door back, who doesn't have a sit down conversation moment. And I think it was Tim Brown, but it, it cuts so quick that I I'm, it just didn't, I didn't get a chance to go back and look at it. So that was a little strange because the other, there were four guys and the fourth one just didn't have a, his clip must've got cut for time or something. Yeah. And Tim Brown, actual Heisman trophy winner. You think like, you think it would have been, if you get a scene of him and him and Kevin talking about their Heisman trophies, that would have been, uh, could have, could have gotten some with that. Um, something very understated about this movie. We talked about the nostalgia factor, mm-hmm. um, just how we remember it, stuff like that. It's why we like it. Um, it's, you know, it's just great seeing the nineties. If you grew up in that era, something that's great. Icebox makes a glass of chocolate milk with just a ton of Hershey syrup in it. Probably yes. the quintessential nineties beverage. And the fortunate, I think we have as, as a society have forgotten how good chocolate milk with Hershey syrup is. And the fortunate thing about being a dad is I had both milk and chocolate syrup in my fridge. And when Icebox made that chocolate milk, I went and made myself a chocolate milk. And folks, I'm here to tell you. That that beverage still hits top tier. I'm jealous. I am very jealous. I uh, I don't know that I've had it in a while, but I think I'll put it on my uh, need to get list this week. I would highly recommend it. Um, I hadn't had a glass of like actual milk in in probably years, aside from from whenever I break into some Oreos. Yeah, but uh, it, I mean, just great, great stuff. It was great. I mean, Icebox had it looked like an inch and a half of, of chocolate syrup on the bottom of that cup. I respect it. Then you've got to balance like, okay, do I want to stir it all in or do I want to stir enough to change the top to chocolate milk that I can endure? And then I know I've still got just straight chocolate, you know, stick it in my veins. Syrup. That sludge at the bottom that, that always tastes good. I mean, and that's back in the nineties too, when sugar didn't really matter. Oh no. Sugar was your friend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you you needed it. You needed it before the game. Like that was, that's, True. that's what, what got you up. Um, shout out to Rudy's dad in this one, who is Chubbs from Teen Wolf and also older Stillwell from A League of Their Own, a quintessential sports movie, that guy, Mark Holton. Yeah, good catch. I was not aware, but that that uh, that is very true. I, I, I guess I noticed that on either watch. This one also uses the classic sports movie trope of having the play-by-play announcer, no matter no matter the event, uh, having a play-by-play announcer to serve as, as narration this is an this play-by-play announcer is an interesting pick. He looks like a man out of a different time. <laughs> I think they uh, they misstepped when they were like, "Wait, is this still the original period piece?" Like they wanted to show a small town that's kind of stuck in time, which 
I would kind of contrast that with like, take uh, Friday Night Lights, the movie. And while it is set in the 80s, like they don't have to like hokily make it feel like the 80s. And they go to this small Midwestern town. They want to make it feel like nostalgia in the 50s. And I'm like, everything that happens in this movie, as we've laid out, still happens in most towns in Texas today. I would imagine Ohio as well. So like him showing up with like a parquet sports coat and, you know, an old WBAT, you know, microphone, like, okay, guy, let's, uh, where's your hat with the five ninths or whatever card stuck in the side of it? Yeah, you know what movie actually did that perfectly is Varsity Blues, where they just have the two deep Southern guys doing it. And one of them's a former, you know, former Coyote player. And then the other guy who does Wes Blankenship on Twitter with his, his Coffee Town videos does that. Former guest of this podcast does that perfectly. But you just you just need it. And he wouldn't be like a deep Southern guy, but just like a local Ohio guy who calls Pee Wee football games and, you know, for the you know, for the town radio or whatever. Like he didn't need to be a this this dude wearing like a you know plaid suit <laughs> he was the couch salesman from town that's all i can think that uh that makes sense uh is there anything else about this one that worked that we haven't gotten to yet no i think we've hit a lot of good parts yeah yeah uh what didn't work about this one what uh um, i would say looking at the length of time of the movie i was shocked to see it was about a minute an hour and 45 minute runtime it didn't feel like it it flows very well each part of the movie fits. And I would say you might be lacking if you lose some of the emotional parts. Cause like we we're saying, like you get some raw character emotion when they're talking about the divorce or building up Becky's self-esteem. And most parts would have cut those parts out and left her interest in junior very, very hollow. So I would say for it to be, to fit in our current Pixar world uh, where that's essentially the only kids movies you're going to get on a big level uh, you probably got to cut that back a little bit. I would say that's, that's one concern. And the other, um, we talk about, talked about inaccuracies, but something that came to mind is at Kevin's, uh, car dealership, we're supposed to assume that he's Heisman trophy winner, but then they've got like sports coats, all of the same color. I know that he's not supposed to be a hall of famer, but why did they choose green as if like <laughs> masters green jackets as like the go-to color for the Kevin O'Shea dealership. And I'm like, I don't know what we're going for there. Maybe the Heisman uh, winners have a jacket that I'm unaware of that's green. Um, but they could have went with like a mustard. So it kind of wanted to imply that you're getting hall of fame treatment or something like that. And John Madden was going to the Heisman uh, presentation in Canton. So you can't tell me or not Heisman hall of fame. Uh, presentation in Canton. So you can't tell me that maybe they didn't have the rights to say hall of fame or to do something in that color. So that was a, that was one minor problem. Yeah. The green blazer is a tough look. Uh, my, my biggest thing that didn't work, I think in this kind of ties into what could have improved this one just a little bit. There's not much actual practicing lining up doing plays. It's more like playing catch, doing some tackling field goals, a lot of, a lot of nut shots, stuff like that. Not much about the prep in this movie, especially from the Giants, because like we know the Cowboys game plan, like they have Spike, they're just going to give them the ball. They're bigger, stronger, faster. Like we're, you know, we're cool with that. We don't need to see them practicing. We needed to see a few more reasons of how the Giants could actually beat this team other than like a couple trick plays, like maybe, you know, maybe picking up a few more recruits, you know, a few more different guys that are better besides just like junior, um, you know, maybe kids with the Cowboys. 
or something over Spike. Like they left the Cowboys team, so you'd be like, oh, they do have a couple competent parts. That would that yeah, work. yeah, something just a little something that makes it a little more likely that these kids are ready to play a play a real football game instead of like we're gonna fucking wing it, man. Let's <laughs> let's roll. Let's we just believe in ourselves and we'll do it. Yeah, that's that's a lot like the uh, street hockey team from Mighty Ducks to them going to the Junior Pan Am games and, and winning, not the Mighty Ducks. Like, yeah, you can't go completely from just absolute nothing to beating quality teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just this is something that it, it's just a trope of these kids sports. It, it's a bummer that none of these kids really went on to yeah. do much of anything like you said Devin Sawa he gets final destination he gets a couple other things probably does very well with ladies from like 98 to 2005 just probably cleaned up um mm. he is man I looked at his IMDB his IMDB in the last three years he's on the reboot train he's done episodes of Hawaii Five O, Magnum PI and MacGyver hey I take the money where you can get it I think it's one of those where it's probably playing with some sort of uh psychology thing where people are watching it to be a reboot and they see this person and they're connecting completely different wires from a nostalgia point, but they're like, Oh, I get it. I'm feeling like I'm watching something old. So yeah, it's our our guy, Devin Sawa. Um, Last thing. I don't think the state cops are bringing in the Heisman trophy winner. I feel like Kevin could have (laughs) talked his way out of that pretty easily. I forgot about that. I really forgot about how they called to get them away from the practice and, uh, faking like the old woman, like they were watching him and getting the state cops, like, and then it shows up in the newspaper the next day. So like, I see, I could see the cops showing up, them drawing the guns is a little uncomfortable, but <laughs> maybe not the arrest. And then the headline that he was arrested. That was, that was a little far. Yeah. I mean, cause they, they show up, they've, they're drawing a gun on a peep on two peeping Toms, which again, very excessive. Uh, but that happens. He turns around and goes, Oh wow, you're you're Kevin O'Shea. You're the Heisman Trophy winner. You're you're famous nationwide. What what is going on here? Oh, I was Pee Wee Games spying on my brother's practice. He must have he must have prayed called you or something like that. Oh, that sounds plausible. I don't see any old ladies here. Let me you call know. the mayor. How about that? Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. I, I don't I don't think they're uh, don't think they're bringing him in. Um, the Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character. Yes. Uh, this one, like you said earlier, this one this spreads the ball around. Everyone gets to everyone gets to touch the ball. I would say everyone is really a supporting character except Kevin, Danny, and Icebox. Yep, I fully agree. But my award, and I have not talked about him at all yet. And every time he was featured on this show or in this movie, I laughed. Um, Tad was going to be it because Tad's one-liners throughout this entire thing absolutely great or we're, we're absolutely great but butts the That's assistant coach, yes that is my too <laughs> coach for uh kevin o'shea not only was he a dickhead but he was the putts for everything that kevin needed like every step of the way he was over the top asshole to the kids he's like look at these kids like i, I think he even applied like i don't think he made like an abortion comment but he said something along the lines like if these were my my pups and I was a wolf. I'd take them out to the river and like, let them drown or something to them at, the, at the car wash. Uh, and I was like, wow, this guy is gold through and through absolute gold. Uh, but he can't sell a car to save his life. So, you know, no, no. So he was the guy in college who just did all of Kevin's bidding. Like he probably wasn't on the football team, maybe like an equipment manager or something. Um, probably communications degree. 
2.2 GPA, five, five and a half years. Yeah, he was Kevin's RA. Yeah. <laughs> when the one year that Kevin lived on campus, or the one semester that Kevin lived on campus, he was his neighbor or his RA. <laughs> yeah. And he just, and he, he picked up that role. And then Butts gets a bonus. The guy's name is Joe Bays. Uh, he is also Don, uh, Don Portwood from The Office, the guy who gets his clot clean by the, uh, by the truck and then is in the full body cast. In, in the wheelchair, which is just, He's just jumped fantastic. to conclusions, Matt guy. <laughs> jump to conclusions, Matt guy. Okay, there we go. Office, yes. Yeah. The big chill in this one. Now, you know, all the best sports movies have that, you know, back chills on the back of your neck, that whole thing. Um, I don't know if this one, the emancipation of Puerto Rico gives me nostalgia chills. That's a different level. That's not Roy Hobbs knocking out the lights in the natural. It's a different kind of chills. Do you get the chills at all in this movie? I would say only the feeling of, again, going back to the uh, night before the game is really the only moment that I felt like it was emotional and it was kind of filled with comedy that entire scene. But that's when it was like, again, score still zero, zero. Everybody has a shot. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. At that point, the kids don't have the information that Icebox isn't going to play with them. So hope is still at its highest. Opportunity is still at its highest. And like everyone believes in that moment. Everything after that is just kind of filled with, you know, conflict and then overcoming conflict. And like you said, the, the ending of the movie, the final play, you don't get really enough slow drama for, or even a high level view of the drama to really feel involved. Like they didn't do the goal line stand for the final play. That probably would have been more of a hair race moment. If it was the tip of the nose over the goal line, as mm-hmm. the final play. but this was a runaway touchdown and it was comedic the entire time. So I would say again, going back to the, the night before the game, probably for me. Yeah. And you, once they stop spike at the goal line, you know, they're going to win. Right. Like right like right away. So it kind of takes the suspense out. Um, I already went into how I would improve it, you know, a little more little more strategy for the Giants. There's a little more believability as to how they're gonna win. Is there do you have anything else as to how they could have improved this one? Yeah, well, I think we picked it apart in that regard. Um yeah. overall, you know, happy with yeah. it. Uh, last category before more restore uh prequel, sequel, or remake. I feel like this one is actually rife for a remake. It would actually yeah. probably make a pretty good Disney Plus series. I mean, they've done that with the Mighty Ducks already. Um, I'm kind of surprised they haven't. No one's kicked the tires on this. I, I have to imagine that somehow the amount of NFL-involved licensing that went on with this movie, again, you have Cowboys uniforms, albeit Apex ones. You have the Giants' actual logo. You've got Madden. You've got NFL players. So there was some NFLPA involvement in, in with the licensing. Moranis probably has some sort of ownership, and he's out of the game. Uh, and Ed O'Neill probably doesn't care anymore about trade. Ed O'Neill has so much money. It is yeah. just, I mean, so I, I guess that's what they're missing. I'm sure Devin Sawa was like beating the phone up. Oh, like let De- me do Devin this. Sawa wants to be not, not only does he want this to happen, he needs this to happen. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I, I probably would say we would benefit from seeing a prequel. I, like you said, they, we could see more of Kevin in the in-between. We saw one piece of one peewee football game and we hear Danny say that he put himself in the IR, which that kind of was funny too. And he like fake one of the girls uh, on the injured list and never came off of it. We probably could see additional conflict of them as teenagers when over some other sport that would play out well. Yeah. Or need to see what happens between Heisman trophy ceremony 
coaching peewee football. That, that might be dark, uh, origin a long, dark road. <laughs> I started kicking around ideas for remake. Just like who, who are your two leads? I had two, two main that did jump out. Maybe like a neighbor's reunion between Efron and Dave Franco. Uh, okay. Efron is Efron is Dave. And then this might, this is probably just recency bias because Netflix dropped uh, the harder they fall trailer today. I think they dropped the movie today, but Jonathan Majors and Lakeith Stanfield, Lakeith Stanfield, who I, I've reached a point where if mm. he's in anything, I, I'm pretty much required to watch it. Um, that would be enjoyable as well. I could get a Sean William Scott as one of oh. the head coaches. Uh, I, I feel he like, doesn't get nearly enough work. Yeah. I feel like that would fit like the similar where we talked about with Devin Sabo, where it's like a remake and in your head, you're like, oh, this is the guy from the movies I watched 20 years ago. And it fits that niche. And he would be a very good putz brother who never really liked sports growing up. Maybe he wasn't a nerd, but just had nothing to do with it. And then you got to find somebody to go along with that. And then from that, I'd have to dig a little bit. But you, you probably could find like a, a comparable guy. Maybe that's where you get the... Uh, you know, I don't want John Cena. I feel like this is a rock of John Cena. Oh, John, John Cena is, I mean, anyone, anyone at Disney who has thought about like doing a reboot of this one, John Cena is who they had in mind. We started Cena. Can we get Cena? Can we get Kevin Hart? Can we get The Rock? And once they <laughs> know on all of those, and it's just like, all right, well, we're not making it. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to figure out someone else, but um, this one, it's it's all we've got right now. It doesn't look like there's a reboot on the horizon. doesn't look like there's any sort of remake or anything, but it, it's a good one. It's a fun one to talk about. I am glad that you brought this one to the pod. Uh, KJ, thanks so much for joining Big Screen Sports. Tell the folks again where they can follow you. Check check out Too Much Dip. Yeah, follow me on uh, Instagram or Twitter, KJ Ellis with ones as the L's. Too Much Dip is at Too Much Dip Podcast or Too Much Dip Pod on Twitter. Find us on Mondays on, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you use. And then Thursday nights on Washed Media's YouTube page or youtube.com slash Washed Media. KJ, it's a pleasure having you on, folks. If you enjoyed this show, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and a review. Our next episode is going to be me and Alex McDaniel. She's back on the pod. We are recapping season two of Ted Lasso, our best moments. Also, if you're a baseball fan, check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm that's presented by Baseball America next week, talking to 1991 World Series hero Gene Larkin. He let me nerd out about twin stuff for an hour. It was great. Uh, We'll catch you next Monday on Big Screen Sports. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.